0: Warning, what you're about to hear may contain mature language, adult situations, and depictions of graphic violence. Listener discretion is advised. Well, hello, everyone. Uh, here we are again. It's me, Elliot Greenman joined, by, as always, by Keith Vance. Keith, how are you doing today?
1: Howdy, folks. It's great to be back on the Trash Heap podcast. Holy cow. It's been yeah. way
0: too long a lot of things have happened uh, since we last spoke together well not on the show spoke together not in real life
1: we have to make that distinction we don't want people to think that we're not we're not good old pals we're just we're just this is all business
0: folks yeah the, our, our friendship
1: is fictional and we it's only been created for the show we when just the
0: microphones go off we hate each other
1: yeah we don't even know each other we're totally never met we both answered the same want ad for a podcast <laughs> like, there's two, someone behind the scenes actually pulling the strings on both of us
0: it's like two wanted two stuttering morons to talk about crap <laughs> movies that nobody cares about <laughs> <laughs> like, well that's me <laughs> do hey, you remember a uh, time cop <laughs> that's us yeah well yeah a lot of things have happened we purposely uh, took a little break just because it just just we're like we did not want to distract from what's going on in the world with our nonsense
1: Well, and also it's sometimes it's hard to to have fun and just lose yourself in movies and and enjoy them with the same purity and and glee when all of these things are happening. But you know, if we can help folks out and provide like an hour of fun and uh, banter, I think those things are, of
0: course, are always important. You know, it's just like maybe there's a certain moments where. You know, they they can take a little side uh, side seat, and I hope that you know uh, there's been a lot of um, a lot of uh, dialogue that's been going on, positive dialogue, and I hope that continues. And I don't think you and I are necessarily the people who are going to provide wild insights into serious world issues, but no, anyway. but
1: it's important that we all. Uh... Keep an eye on what's important and take yeah. care of each other, and remember that we are all that we have. So, right, if we can't treat each other with compassion and kindness, and then you know, well, what's the point?
0: Thing, thing too is you know, like here we are, we're we've decided to come back and do a show, you know, which of course we were going to do. It wasn't like like the show's over, but like our, decided to reach our uh, come back from our hiatus. And but I do see like kind of like uh, the momentum of of thing of people wanting to uh, uh, educate themselves make positive changes demand justice that momentum seems to be slowing down a little bit and I that's something that worries me I, I, I think we're, we're going in a very positive direction in a lot of ways and obviously in other ways there's some not so much but This this momentum from coming from the people on the ground floor, you know, and I'm just saying, like just like average people like you and I, Uh, let's. I really hope that keeps going. And you know, there's lots of ways that you can stay involved, even if you're not necessarily like out of the streets marching and whatnot. There's lots of fantastic organizations that you can make uh, donations to. And one thing that I do that I think is really beneficial is make you can make small monthly donations. I think right at the beginning, people were donating. Like, I'll donate $100. bucks, i will donate 200 bucks to, you know, a Black Vision Collective or Reclaim the Block or something, which are great organizations. But then, you know, you make that initial donation, you know, and then it, it, things kind of start to peter off. So making a $10 don- monthly donation is a really great way to keep the ball rolling in a lot of things, if, even when you don't necessarily have uh, the time or the time or energy to go out and do something yourself, you can help facilitate the people who are better equipped to do that. And like I said, those, there's there's tons of charities. I'm not you, I'm not going to list off a million ones. I listed off those two, which are great. One I also really like is Feeding America, um, because no matter other what other problems we have going on, that's a problem that's consistent: is people being hungry, and particularly right now so many people being out of work and minority communities being more affected by the, the coronavirus and all the civil unrest that's going on. Feeding America really helps those people at this moment. So that's what I really like. But like I said, do your own, do your own research, find the ones that work for you and just keep, let's all just keep the ball rolling. Agreed.
1: Yeah. I, I think that last one is especially important. Um, in my life, I've had opportunities to, pass by my local food banks uh, on my way to work. And mm-hmm. it's very sobering and humbling to see who's in line and how many people are in line. And um, when you're faced with that directly, it's very easy to take it to heart and and want to do something. So I encourage you to go find your local food bank and you know help take care of the, the people that are in dire straits right now because um, you know, if you're doing pretty well or doing the same as you were before um, you're in the minority, I think so. Right. Uh, Absolutely. You know, do what you can to uh, help some folks that are, are in a bad
0: situation. Yeah. Cause there's definitely, we've seen, we've seen on both sides, there's a lot of people on the other side who will not, not only are not, don't want to help. They want to actively harm so, yeah, I don't know. Like I said, I don't want to get preachy here, make this a big political conversation because I'm not as articulate as I think one might need be to have the best conversation. But, yeah, let's also keep that in mind. And also let us, uh, you know, this could, this is a stupid movie podcast, but let's let what's going on right now also influence how and what we watch, you know? I think what you and I talked about how it was kind of ironic that the last show we did before you know uh we started having all these massive movements and protests in the streets was bright a movie about two cops now one of them being an orc cop but whatever and uh my personal opinion of cops has never been uh, a fond opinion but with movies i was always kind of like ah, whatever it's just a movie and this has definitely changed the lens of how i view those types of movies as well so let's Let's when we when we when we watch movies, let's not watch them necessarily as passively as maybe we tend to do sometimes, you know.
1: Well, it's interesting. (laughs) Yeah, the timing of Bright was a wild one because we sort of missed the point entirely of that movie. Um, But also, if you consider how many movies are centered on cops and in most cases, it's, you know, hero cops doing incredible things, you know, like a a Jackie Chan in Police Story or Supercop or uh, Lethal Weapon or Die Hard. Um, I could go on and on and on, Bad Boys, you know, where the cops are doing incredible things in these worlds where the consequences don't necessarily matter, but there's still a lot at stake. And so sometimes you have to look at that and say
0: well well what i think is interesting is too is kind of like we, like a lot of these movies sometimes it's like the one good cop against the corrupt system and so yes. even the movie itself is acknowledging that the system's corrupt but you have this one like sole hero cop and this is just kind of a ridiculous concept because the organization does not does not allow for that regardless of how people what attention someone enters in, you know, it's like, you would never have a movie where it's like, he's the one hero Nazi in the team of Nazis, of corrupt Nazis. That's just, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like Unless unless he was trying to like actively take take him down from the inside, you know, he wouldn't be like, yeah, these Nazis are corrupt, but I'm going to join the Nazis and I'm going to be a good Nazi. Like that's just, it's a, it's an absurd concept. And I'm not comparing the two organizations like directly. I'm just using that as like, A metaphor of just like why do we why even in movies do we say like oh yeah there's some fucked up shit going on with this institution as a whole but we'll make so many of them the heroes of our movies and i mean really that's what it is you know you have in mythology the hero the warrior archetype and that's like a archetype that exists in every culture you know dating back to the beginning of storytelling and then yeah largely in a lot of cultures but largely in our culture like you just said in so many of our movies The hero is the police officer and why, you know, why, why can't we be more creative and have a variety of people who take on that warrior arch arch type? And that's what I would like to see more of. And I'm not saying we can't like, you know, like don't, don't watch Beverly Hills Cop ever again. That's bullshit. You know, it's a, you know, no, of course you can watch Beverly Hills Cop
1: well, yeah. that's it. there's another important angle to consider in so many of these movies, Beverly Hills Cop, uh, included. It's these sort of rogue um, detectives or cops that are that they, they they go against authority and they don't listen to the chief and they gotta they gotta bend or break the rules in order to get results and right. and we, we even sort of uh, mythologize them on an even higher level than sort of right. They make fun of beat cops or flat foots, you know, who are like glorified night watchmen, uh, things like that. So it's fascinating even within that, that ecosystem of how there is even more subdivisions of how those different roles and, and statuses are perceived.
0: And that's kind of the always way I looked at it too, is I'd watch these movies. And like I said, I've never been, uh, fan of of the cops but i'd watch a movie and be like oh whatever like from a narrative perspective i understand why they're using them you know and yeah so i'd be like I'd be like it's like a western it's mythology like westerns aren't real there wasn't actually you know uh, uh, like a uh good and bad and ugly type gunslinger you know that that's none of that's real the difference being is like that mythology is a mythology of a time that's gone and past, you know yeah and the same way there wasn't dragons and wizards and stuff. That's just kind of a fantasy type aspect. But when we're talking about that in terms of modern movies and talking about modern police officers, well, that's not a time that's gone past. That's happening right now. So we're mythologizing something that's currently affecting us. And so that puts it in a completely different context, you know, and I just no longer, uh, you know, when I watch a movie with a, a movie, I, I just no longer go like, ah, oh, it's just a movie about cops, you know? Yeah. And that being said, some of my favorite movies are about cops, you know?
1: Well, and thinking, too, how many movies about cops end with them quitting and, like, throwing their badge into the sea or something right. like that, right? Point Break comes to mind specifically, even though he's totally, not a cop, yeah. he's an FBI
0: agent, but. But it's the same. It's the same, you know? It's, yeah. It's, you know, American law enforcement, you know?
1: Yeah, but yeah, I would definitely recommend from the cop genre. Um, I would recommend uh movies like Dark Blue with Kurt Russell and yeah. Rampart with uh, Woody Harrelson, mm-hmm. and then obviously Training Day is a big one. Uh, I think most people have seen that, but if you haven't, definitely watch that. So I think those offer a glimpse into the the complexities and the uh, intricacies of the the moral Abuse. conundrums that we're we're touching right. on.
0: And I mean, like, basically, just like, obviously, and the day is a great example, because, you know, I have Denzel Washington's character, which is obviously corrupt. And then Ethan Hawke being like, well, I'm going to be a good cop within this corrupt system and kind of at the end being like, that just doesn't work. So I either have to just accept this or move on to something else. Right.
1: That's the the eternal you know? struggle of, you know, am I a naive fool? Can it even be done this way or right? Is is this a necessary evil in order to achieve?
0: Another one I really like, for kind of that's in the same. I would say actually, my three favorite, three of my favorite movies of like mainstream, just normal movies are Blade Runner, L.A. Confidential, and Copland. And all oh, three Copland, of those yes. Are are kind of like that. Like you know, Deckard's character in Blade Runner, he's never being like, "I'm the good cop in this corrupt system." He's like, "I'm the bad cop in this worse system." And at the end of it, he's just kind of like, okay, well, I'm going to finish this job. It's not even like a huge, like, him trying to do the right thing. It's just like him trying to get out of doing the wrong thing, you know?
1: Yeah, just trying to get through to the other side so he can his, walk away. His,
0: and his method of getting of not having to do the wrong thing anymore is, I'll do one last wrong thing, you know? Like, <laughs> <laughs> I'll, do, well, I'll, I'll do this wrong thing, and then I'll just, you know, I've done enough of it, and then I'll kind of have paid my wrong dues, you know? And like, yeah, so there's a it's a very that's a very morally complex thing that he's never really like he's the protagonist but he's never really the hero. And then in Copland, you know, uh, Sylvester Stallone's character, who's the one the guy trying to do the right thing, is kind of like a fake cop. Like he was just kind of appointed the sheriff of this small town because he was like the town hero, and all the actual cops in the movie are they're pretty much like just like them they're portrayed just like a mobsters in a mob movie, and it's all, all played by like Ray Liotta and Harvey Keitel and even like the character that Sylvester Stallone is trying to protect in that movie is also not like a good guy. No, you know, he's, no, like he's just, he like, he's just saying like, Hey, he's not a good guy. He just, just he's done bad things. Just, he just deserves a fair trial and not to be murdered by his police buddies. You know? Right. Yeah. That's so, such an
1: interesting, I love that movie. Just watching uh, Sylvester Stallone in that movie is so much fun because here, here's this guy just kind of thrust into the situation he is not qualified for, but then he also wrestles with his confidence and imposter syndrome and this idea that no one takes him seriously at right. all.
0: It's, it's, it's a reminder of just how great of an actor Sylvester Stallone really could be. Yeah. And, be. and you know, and not to say that I, I love all his fucking stupid, like, you know, uh, ego trip movies as well but like man like you have the ability to create such nuanced performances but you've only done it like maybe three or four times you know
1: yep and that's based on what people want out of you right you you set the tone and it's it's too bad like it was really Rambo that set all of that out first blood uh that set all that off even though First Blood is so drastically different from its sequel the and then yeah. the movies, the other action movies that he did that came after.
0: Well, yeah, because if you look at his filmography, from Rocky to, I mean, Rocky, he'd made a few movies before Rocky, but that's like the, obviously the movie that's like put him into uh, the public awareness. From Rocky to, to First Blood, he only made a few movies in between there, and it's uh, Fist which is like a movie about unions in the 30s. <laughs> yeah. You know, or and then they made uh that movie Victory where he plays like a, you know, it's like a it's that World War 2 soccer movie. Oh, weird. Uh and then Oh, uh um what's Paradise Alley, which is like his first like ego trip movie, but it's not like an action movie, you know. And then he makes yeah, and then he makes First Blood, which we like, you just said, is not, uh, it, it's an action movie, but it's a nuanced character study. And then, boom, after that, it's all just like, how big are my muscles? How many explosions are there? Yep. You know, when I, I watched
1: something recently too that pointed to the rise of the action star during mm-hmm. that period sort of forcing his hand because the media crafted these rivalries between action stars, right? So once right. Arnold especially got on the scene, it became like he, he was forced into the position of competing with oh, yeah. these other guys.
0: You, you hear all this stuff like all this stuff about that. And like there's that famous story about how Arnold pretty much tricked him into making Stop or My Mom will shoot. Yeah. Because Arnold said that he was, he was going to take the role but he had, with no intention and then Stallone's like well if he wants it I want it there's no way he's going to get the movie <laughs> which might not be true which might be a lie Arnold might be like yeah I'll do that sure why not because we also seen some of his uh, <laughs> 90's output so yes
1: although he did make a, a gajillion dollars from twins that turned That's out to true. be a financial monster and he bet on himself He he yeah. was like what was his deal? There is a, a cool interview where he talks about it, but he was like, I wanted to get this movie done and I I believed in the filmmaker and making this, you know, comedy movie. And he decided that he would take, he would like forego like a salary and just take a right. cut of the profits. And he ended up making like three or four times what he would have made if he just took his, his standard right. salary.
0: Well, I think it's too you know when we look back now on stuff it's like you you look back at him in the mindset of like him always being a superstar you know because you're like you're like oh front you know terminator on like this is he's a h- huge star but that really wasn't the case i was watching yeah. a something about uh red heat you know which came out you know, yeah 80s like 89 or something so after he's been in this is after he's been in terminator predator yeah you know running a or in something and it was a the name of the Walter Hill the director yeah he was talking about like well we were talking about who we should cast in this role and I and I I I was pushing for Arnold I was like this guy is about to break through and be and be a huge star and I was like oh he wasn't a huge star yet even though he'd been in these movies that are now so iconic right you know at the time he was still just kind of like a rising star and it wasn't really like it was like Terminator 2 was the movie that pushed him over the edge yeah like super stardom yeah Right, so when you're looking back at Twins, you're like, you know, from our, from our perspective now, like, oh, of course that's a no-brainer, you know? Like Arnold Schwarzenegger, a huge star, he's going to be in his comedy with Danny DeVito, you know, the same way we'd look at, like, a movie with, like, The Rock and some comedian, yep. you know? From now's perspective, but it was actually, like, yeah, it, it wasn't quite, he wasn't quite at that level yet then, but we look back at it with the mindset that he was, you know? Well, and
1: it's funny how our perspective influence that too right when i was when i saw twins it was on tv and i was a kid and so i was like oh ha 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 look at the big man and the little man and their brothers isn't that right. silly right and arnold schwarzenegger was so fascinating especially to a child but i didn't mm-hmm. understand the the context and and what that meant in the bigger adult picture and in a man's career so i had no idea same with like uh, kindergarten cop I was like, oh, haha! The policeman is undercover as uh, a teacher. Isn't that silly? Right.
0: And to me, it was like you know, like you also when you're a kid, it's like if you like if you like Arnold Schwarzenegger, then he is the biggest star in the world. Exactly. Even even before he's broken, you know, broken out in necessarily that role, you know. So that was uh, the Terminator was the the Terminator and Predator were the first R-rated movies I ever saw. I watched them back to back, and I was only like six years old.
1: Yeah, I think Total Recall and RoboCop were. Those are some of the earliest memories I have. And I remember Total right. Recall, especially, felt like I was like, I'm watching a no-no movie.
0: <laughs> well, that's, yeah. Well, yeah. But as I say, like, to me, like, because of Robocop and Buckaroo Banzai movies I saw when I was really young, to me, Peter Weller was a huge star. Yes. You know, which he never really was, you know? Yeah. I would in, see in Screamers
1: reality. and, um, Screamers and, um, Leviathan and movies like that. Oh, yeah, Leviathan, yeah. And then there's also that movie where he plays like an abusive boyfriend.
0: <clears throat> abusive boyfriend? Uh, I
1: think Corey Haim's in it too. Oh,
0: I have no idea what you're talking
1: about. Yeah, that was one of those like Sunday afternoon local TV. Um,
0: um. Is it kind of like one of those like late 80s, early 90s, like domestic thriller type movies? Like yeah. Pacific Hi- like Pacific Heights or that type of yeah Tone. It's called. You don't. i'm gonna find it out because you're not talking about the giant rat movie are you no peter weller's not in that yes he is uh, <coughs> like the of unknown origin
1: oh yeah that's it
0: that's the movie where he's where he's like a
1: oh dead. no nope it's uh first born
0: Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I I do know what you're talking about. I've never seen it, but I have heard of that movie. Yeah, Terry Gard,
1: Peter Weller, and Corey Haim. It's his film debut.
0: Corey Haim's? Or, or Peter Weller's? Uh,
1: Corey Haim. Yeah, it's oh, Peter Weller's first movie
0: <laughs> at the ripe old I'm age of 30, over, 35. we'll be here playing second fiddle to Corey Haim. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Well, should we get into the – we haven't – we've been talking for a while. We haven't even, even announced what our – no, this Maybe is fine. I think th- these are the kind of tangents
1: that people come for. And actually yeah. before we get into the episode, I want to say a big, huge thank you. Movies to lose your mind to. Our our last episode is quickly became the most listened to episode of all time. And it's not really close at this point. So uh big thank you to everybody for checking that out and giving it a listen. Uh that feels awesome. And uh I hope you liked it. And don't forget to go and check out some of the uh, under-listened to episodes. Uh, like, I don't know. How about uh, Let's Go to Camp and Last Action Hero and even the Elliot is Missing trilogy. Elliot Lost that's in the Movies. That's, uh starts with episode 15, Where's Elliot? So, uh, yeah, that's okay, good stuff. But yeah, uh, you, thanks, everybody who listens. Really appreciate yeah, it. And don't forget right. to uh, check us out on Instagram, we haven't really posted much on there, but we will. So uh, go check us out. It's at Trash Heap Pod on Instagram. Before we jump into the movie, I got to go to the bathroom again. Oh, Obviously, Christ. I have, I have a kidney problems. So please does just bear with problems.
0: me. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, I'll try and keep this relevant while he pees. So he just mentioned that he has kidney problems. And this is probably his story to tell, but I am going to share it anyway. Just a couple days ago. Keith passed his very first kidney stone, which is something that I've never done, but I've heard that it's terrible, and uh, he showed me a picture of the stone, and it didn't look like a pleasant thing to come out of your body, Um, so that's why he made that joke. There's also going to be a thing at the end, maybe, I'll let let Keith tell you about that. The kidney stone was going to be revealed eventually, but I just kind of... uh, jump the gun here just because i had to fill up time because i don't know how long it's going to take keith to pee uh i've watched some movies recently um uh, they'll probably talk to a little bit with keith about on the show but if i don't i just watched um the handmaiden from park Wook. that's great i watched uh, tom popo great movie a movie called black bad black from uganda very low budget action movie that was a lot of fun um i watched uh i started re-watching the movie hot rod last night but i fell asleep while i was watching it and then woke up with the, on the couch at like three in the morning um i watched uh i'm looking at a picture of a papaya on my phone right now for some reason <coughs> all right oh there we go <laughs> oh my god i am back I didn't think I was going to be able to hold that for much longer. In fact, I kind of failed. Like I started off on a good run of keeping conversation going while you're gone. And then I just started listing things. <laughs> just, <laughs> reading, just reading
1: the coupons that are on your fridge.
0: Pretty much. I was like, I, uh, I was just started like listening to the movies I've watched recently, and then I just... Oh, nice. when that was When that was done, I just opened up my phone to Instagram, and the first picture that showed up was a picture of a papaya, so I was like, I'm looking at a picture of a papaya. <laughs> Here's what's on my
1: camera roll. <laughs> Awful. And,
0: uh, yeah, th- then I just started saying, I think he's coming back, I'm not sure, for like 20 minutes.
1: Well, I will tell you, uh, I haven't watched a ton of movies, as a, and if I have, it's been shit that I've already seen, so like comfort movies, but the new stuff that I have watched is uh, Knives Out, Doctor Sleep, and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood.
0: I like all three of those movies.
1: Yeah, I enjoyed them all to uh, varying degrees. Uh, I have complex thoughts on Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Um, Doctor Sleep, I had very little interest in, but I watched mm. it just to see what it was all about. And turns out I watched the uh, director's cut or the extended uh-huh. cut or whatever. And it was much cooler than I expected it to be. Uh, and then knives out was a lot of fun and really well made. I was a little disappointed by the ending.
0: I can see that. I wasn't, I wasn't disappointed, but I could see how, Sometimes with movies like that, it's so hard to have a really satisfying, like payoff. What I did like in that movie is you kind of find out uh who did it you know in the who done it you find out kind of early and then it's kind of just uh connecting the dots of why it was a unique take on it.
1: Yeah. I mean, I thought it was fine. I just right. it a movie with that sort of tone and tenor to it, I expected a wackier kind of blow away surprise like Sure. Oh, it was the it was the man all along pulling the strings. He orchestrated his own death in order to, da, 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 like, something very intricate and, like, right to floor me. And, you know, so I don't fault the movie for that, really.
0: Well, if you want to see a movie that where I, I mentioned this uh, while you were peeing, it was just listing off the movies that I've, that I've watched recently uh, Park Chan Wook's The Handmaiden. Oh, yeah. If you want to see a movie where you have no idea where it's going or you think it's going one way and then it just changes left and right, left and right, left and right. It was a phenomenal movie. I uh, really enjoyed it. Really highly recommend it. And it's like two and a half hours long, but does not feel like it. It just blows by. Um, that's incredible. Yeah, I'll have to check that out. You see a complex thoughts about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I That was a movie when I, I saw it in a the theater and I was like, that's eh, fine. Uh, but then I watched it again, and I really grew on me the second the second time around. So yeah, I guess my thought, my my at least my initial thoughts were complex on it.
1: Yeah, uh, I tr- I definitely tried to wait until all the hype and and energy around it died down. I just kind of wanted to watch it for myself. I also was not super pleased with the things I heard about their treatment of Bruce Lee. Uh-huh. And and although now after watching the movie, I don't know that that the initial reaction was actually very accurate. Uh, yeah.
0: Kind of. how kind of I felt about it too. Within
1: the context of the movie and actually seeing the, the whole scene, uh, like the fight scene, um, in its entirety, it was, uh, a lot less of a kind of upsetting outcome than I thought. So I won't, right. I won't spoil it if you haven't, haven't seen it already, but, uh, yeah. I think that I, I definitely think that movie is worth watching. Uh, at least once definitely yeah, I really check enjoyed, it, enjoyed out. it
0: and like I, I kind of think I mean Quentin Tarantino is obviously a talented director but I often think he's overrated oh of course in the sense it's like yeah he makes good movies but it's not like he's not like the greatest director of all time or you know the most groundbreaking director of this time period or generation no but and he's definitely
1: times, settled into a groove like what you, totally. you you pretty much know what to expect at this point
0: totally and but honestly like a lot of times for me my my favorite movies of his are oftentimes his least popular ones uh like i loved uh the hateful eight which was one kind of one that everyone was just else was just kind of about like
1: eh, about
0: and i thought that was one of his best it's
1: arguably his best written movie
0: i think totally and then i jackie jackie brown another one where I'm just like oh that that to me is his best movie and that was like or so disappointed with it after you know after You know, as his follow-up to Pulp Fiction,
1: it's so interesting too because the, yeah, at the time, Pulp Fiction had such a cool factor, and then Jackie Brown didn't have that same kind of like like aura to it. But time has shown that Pulp Fiction is sort of fizzled out and is more a product of its time and less of a kind of a timeless work. And Jackie Mm -hmm. Brown is looking more favorable. As time goes I on, it's really totally kind of agree. a head scratcher. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And then and the thing, too, it's just like, yeah, sometimes his movies, like I said, like I watched uh, Once Upon a Time in, the, in uh, Hollywood, and I was like, no, oh, that was okay. And then it, it really grew on me. That's happened to me with this stuff, too, like uh, Inglorious Bastards. The first time I saw that movie, I didn't even really care for it at all. I remember yeah. looking the theater and being like, eh, that kind of sucked. And then now I think that's like after Hateful Eight and Jackie Brown, that's probably like number three if I was to rank his filmography in my in my personal ranking, you know. But initially I was just like, eh, whatever. Um, yeah. Anywho.
1: After seeing uh, Django Unchained about f- six times, I realized that out of all of his sort of revenge motif movies, mm-hmm. that one is easily the most satisfying. And whenever mm-hmm. I sort of am in a mood to I don't even know how to describe it like I guess whenever I'm in a in a position where I'm I'm just kind of stuck and unable to to move watching that movie and getting such a visceral like affirming resolution Uh like kind of helps like lift me up and propel me I guess there you go yeah it's great
0: well let's think of speaking of things being lifted up and propelled yeah. <laughs> yes. I don't know. For some reason, that phrase just really does make me think of our, our the movie that we're actually here to discuss today, which is Pacific Rim.
1: Ah, uh, yes. Pacific Rim.
0: Today, we face the monsters that are at our door and bring the fight to them. Today, we are canceling the apocalypse. <laughs> A movie from 2013, uh, directed by Guillermo del Toro, about uh, giant monsters like you know Godzilla-style, Gamera-style monsters emerging from the Pacific Ocean, and giant battle tech robots being built to fight them. One of the
1: great things this movie does right off the bat is tells you exactly what kaiju. The word kaiju and the word Jaeger mean because those yeah, two words those are the robots. Yeah. Yes. But but also a Jaeger is it's a German word uh for like that means like sentry or like guardian Hunter. or warrior or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. But it there's no like if you make a kaiju movie, you're making it for people who like kaiju movies. But if you're making a big studio summer blockbuster. Right. You have to explain it. And there's no simpler way to explain it than to put the definition right up right. on the screen <laughs> yeah, in the screen. first few <laughs> seconds of the movie. <laughs>
0: totally. No, the, the movie does really hit the ground running, like you said last night, you texted me and you said, uh, what did you say? Like the the, op- the cold open, like which is like it's like a 17 minute. The
1: like- cold open to this movie is the greatest action blockbuster of all time.
0: Right, it's just like the prologue about like what's actually going on it's, in the movie, but it's so concise, and like, you, like I said, I looked it up, it's 17 minutes long before the opening credits even start, you know, the title credits. It's
1: unbelievable, and, and it, it has everything, it has archival footage, it has impressive establishing of the, just the scope and the scale of these monsters, it's got a, a f- like a gritty voiceover.
0: There's a full character arc within those. Yes, within within that 17 minutes of the main character goes through a full character arc, and then once the movie the movie itself actually starts, it's a completely different character arc that he goes through over the next, you know, two plus hours. You know, when Char was his
1: name, Charlie Hunnigan, who who named Cha- it? Hunnam, yeah, Hunnam? Hunnam, yeah, whatever. When I like Hunnigan better though, when he stepped onto that. Uh, uh, where was he Alaska or the North Pole or God knows when his right. Jaeger made landfall with only one arm and crashed into the snow in front of that man and his son mm-hmm. I was I was ready to, to be done I was finished I was like that was so satisfying I have finished watching Pacific Rim and it's over and I love it I'm gonna walk yeah. out of the theater just applauding and skipping down the sidewalk.
0: And you know, like this movie too, it's like, maybe some people are thinking like, Oh, this isn't the normal type of movie you guys do. This is a big, huge action blockbuster, but in America it really wasn't. I mean, that's what it was portrayed. That was the intent, but and the movie has a sequel, but the only reason why the movie has a sequel is because it did so well in uh, China.
1: Yes. And that's a great point. And I want to double back on that because it is not, a, a movie we would typically do, especially since it has such a high score on Rotten Tomatoes. It's, right. I believe, in the high 70s um, on both the audience score and the critic score, which is correct, although the whole reason we're doing this is because I'd argue that this movie is a lot better than it even gets credit for. And I think Absolutely. that we didn't know what we had when this movie came out.
0: Oh, it it was like just from, from, you know, from a financial standpoint, the movie bombed in America. If it was only, if it was just plain to an American audience, like there would not have been a sequel to this movie. Like I said, it was only because it did so well overseas that a sequel was greenlit and financed and made, you know? So yeah, it's a movie that like is kind of like flopped here uh, has some favorable reviews, but not really as high as they should be. Yeah, so that, that is why we are doing it this afternoon.
1: And it's fascinating. I mean, what what could possibly be the reason for a movie about giant robots fighting giant monsters uh, for the survival of mankind? What about that was such a turnoff to American moviegoers?
0: Well, I don't know. I mean, personally, one thing I have thought about while watching this is like the american track record with giant monster movies is actually not great uh with a few exceptions but most of our bit like our homegrown big monster movies aren't that good you know yeah the the
1: previous one being probably godzilla with matthew broderick
0: yeah which was awful you know Uh, um we had obviously of course we had like the original king kong which was huge hit groundbreaking and and stuff you know seriously dated by you know modern standards but for its time you know a phenomenal movie and then but pretty much everything uh, the majority of american produced monster movies have not giant monster movies have not been great and we've often we've turned to films overseas uh to fill that fill that void as audiences like uh the whole Godzilla the, the G- Godzilla series, Gamera, sons of other just giant monster movies from Japan, like the J- Space Amoeba and War of the Gargantuans. Yeah, that makes uh, me
1: wonder if audiences saw the trailer to this movie and thought, oh, God, here we go. It's going to be some corny, corny nonsense. And
0: Frankly, I think I remember talking to people and them saying that, you know, and I... and. I mean, I was excited about it because it was a Guillermo del Toro movie and stuff. But if you're just a casual movie goer and you watched the trailer, you might just be like, this looks dumb. You yeah. know, car- cartoon robots fighting cartoon monsters, you know. I mean, it's not actually cartoon, but I mean, just in terms of like CGI. And stuff.
1: No. And that's another thing As I was watching the effects and I could not believe how good they are. And I remember They're... at the time uh, people being disappointed by them. And I'm just looking and looking and I'm like where are the disappointing effects here this is like they're revolutionary phenomenal. stuff
0: and it's not just in the terms of like you know the how realistic like the rendering and the you know the flesh looks and whatnot it's it's in the movements of yes. you know these characters when the robots and the in the and the monsters are fighting they're giant they're lumbering most of the time they're not moving very fast one scene I love is one of the robots uh, the main robot goes and he's like winding up to take a punch you know and a jet comes out of his elbow to, to propel his yes his fast because the rest of the time when they're punching it's all they're just kind of, it's, it's all very like like you said lumbering and you know deliberate and slow like to get to get fast literally a rocket has to come and his arm has to be turned into like a, a flying spaceship
1: that's such a credit to the production design and the planning and trying to embed this stuff in real life despite mm-hmm. how absurd it is um, e- well, even the they... cons- concepts behind like the so the the giant robots are unable to be piloted by a single person the mental strain of it is just too great
0: and right, so because the robots like they link up to your like spinal cord and that's how they're able to mimic yes. your movements and stuff yeah
1: Yep, and so you need two pilots who are sort of mentally and emotionally linked together in order to operate the two hemispheres of the brain and kind of lean on each other. Um, but and even they, the, the the logic and the idea behind that is is so sound, and it also right. comes in handy later.
0: Right. While well, while well, maybe like from like an act like an actual like real world, world standpoint, like what's the best if. Giant monsters did come up out of the water. What's the best way to fight them? Giant robots? Probably not. But if we accept that, you know, and then move forward from that, what this, like you just said, what this movie does so great is taking this out-of-world, ridiculous concept and grounding it yes. in the real world. And uh, recently, we talked about um, we were—I know you and I were just kind of like talking about Godzilla movies on the show, and we were talking about how we love how. The Godzilla series, like the Japanese series, it specifically will take these wild, like tone leaps from being totally serious to just like absurd, you know, goofy stuff. And what Pacific Rim does so well is kind of meld those two together. You know, it's wild and crazy and out of control, but like they still find a way to ground it in something that seems real and tangible, you know?
1: Yeah. And I mean, it really starts with the fact that during the the opening sequence the the retelling of events it's like it took 6 days to bring down the first kaiju um with you know tanks and jets and and traditional military 6 days to bring down the, one yeah this thing just creature. like ravaging the countryside yeah so we needed alternative solutions there was no way we would be able to survive at that rate and then also trying things like Uh, the massive coastal seawall and then having Mm -hmm. that just torn apart like it was cardboard. Right. Yeah. Which is, I think those are also real world solutions, throw the military at it, build a wall. um, Mm -hmm. And then the last resort is okay. Let's combine the world power. I love that. That subplot too. this idea that with a common enemy, we were able to put aside our differences with the the competing superpowers of the world, Russia, China, and the oh, United yeah, States cause it's like
0: it's like yeah, it's like the Russian military and the you know American military like and like the, all these other ones essentially working as one unit now you know? yes,
1: with a common goal and we were to, able to achieve something very incredible that no yeah. one else has achieved in in history.
0: Well, even the comment on that, there's like one time, I think it's Idris Elba's character says, like, we brought the first, like, the first generation of uh, Jaegers was only, like, they said from start to completion of the first generation was only 17 months or something. Yeah. You know, which is crazy. I mean, it's kind of... In,
1: <laughs> it's a little absurd.
0: It it's a little absurd, but I was going to say, like, this is obviously a ridiculous comparison, but just literally what's going on right now in terms of developing a vaccine... You know, and the history of how long it takes to develop this vaccine when one group of people are working on it, and now you have, literally, in less than a year, several vaccines in stage tr- three trials that all appear very promising. Right. That, that are like that are like at least a few of them are definitely going to work. Is what is what it appears at the moment. You know, and the fact that like. You know, the speed in which that's been is being done right now is 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 comparable to like this concept in this plot because and it is because everyone's like, okay we're just going to get together. We're going to work on the we're all going to do this at the same time and work, even if we're working selective, you know, uh, um, uh, are on our own little uh, isolated vaccine over here. It's it's a collective effort. Yeah, of everyone trying different stuff at the same time, so you don't have to do it in sequence You know, you're not doing it in sequence. You're doing it side by side. You know, just to get it done. So I mean, it's you know the space. You know, in, uh, the space race in the '60s. You went from not even bar- ha- like not even ha- barely having rocket technology to putting people on the moon in a span of like 13 years, allegedly. Yeah. Allegedly, that's Allegedly. right. <laughs> do you want to? Do you
1: want to get into that? Do you want to get into the moon landing? I mean, do you yeah. want to talk about the Apollo 18 mission? Apollo 18 I mean, now available on Netflix and Hulu. Give right, it a watch.
0: Well, I mean, that maybe, that maybe that should be the next episode. I love that be, movie yeah. so much. <laughs> let's, let's do it. Let's do. That I think it's tremendous. Like, we should do it. We should do Apollo 18. Combined with like a that documentary about how Stanley Kubrick faked the moon landing, like oh, Room yeah. Two Thirty Seven. Oh, Wh- uh,
1: I was gonna say which one, <laughs> but yeah, right. Room Two Room Two Thirty Seven is uh, that's. Uh, I mean, there's other
0: conspiracies and theories in that one, but like they talk about the moon one in in it as well. Yeah. Um. Anyway. Yeah, it's just, it. It is like so. It's like this these absurd concepts so well grounded in, a, a, a seemingly. F- Feasible, tangible world, and one thing I was reading last night uh, about the movie is a couple things. One, tons of miniatures were used in the movie, like when they're uh, fighting in in Hong Kong, the, the the robot fight in Hong Kong, and the fist goes through like a, a punches through a building and like taps that little what do you call them like the little balls that you drop that people always had on their desks in the nineties.
1: Uh, I don't know.
0: There's a scene where a fist punches through a wall. The building and just goes through the entire building. The building itself was a, a miniature, and they took like a big green screen rod and shoved that through the building, and then replaced the green screen rod with a CGI robot arm. Oh, awesome! So you but had that, they were able
1: to create the environmental damage and not have to... right. So
0: that 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 was all physical, and then they just added in the ro- robot arm itself, and then I also read that to give it like this kind of tangible quality, but also pay homage to the like, like kaiju movies of the past that influenced influenced it you know uh Guillermo del Toro, even though he knew always from the onset that everything was going to be cgi in terms of monsters and stuff every kaiju was designed in a way that if it was a costume a human can operate it oh so there's no there's no that none of the kaiju have physiques that wouldn't allow a human shape to go inside of it
1: yeah I mean that's sort of a fun lens to look at the movie through Also, Mm -hmm. like when you rewatch it, it's like looking for like, oh, if that was a suit, you know, where would the seams be and how would they get in? And if they moved, would it would it fold over and things Mm -hmm. like that?
0: Which actually is something that I would say it's not necessarily disappointing about this movie, but I would really like to see is a giant like a modern giant kaiju movie where they had suits. And it was just like, hey, we're going to make the best suit kaiju movie ever. Oh, sure. And you can do to, obviously you can do tons of things you know that they didn't do in like the 60s and 70s with the Godzilla movies with like frame rates so it looks like giant things moving instead of like people in costumes yeah. and the only movie i can think that has done that in modern times is it was not a very good movie i think um was that movie with a it's i think it's called Colossal oh yeah with a uh, Anne Hathaway and Jason Sudeikis. Yeah which is about like, the the woman, every time she moves, this monster that's showed up on, uh, in the world moves, too. And she realizes that she's her actions control it. Yeah. It's not a very good movie, but they did do that. It's They did do a giant suit, to my understanding. Oh. But it's usually you just see the monster, like, on the television, like, on the news. It's not actually, it's not a really a giant monster fighting movie. Yeah, and it's less about seen, the monster. And there's definitely scenes in it where it's definitely CGI, too. But I think at least for part of it. They did that, but I would like to see that, you know? yeah.
1: It would be, yeah, really fascinating to see an attempt. Um, also one with a straight face versus, say, I mean, right. like there was that scene in uh, Crank 2, which right, I yeah. guess Crank 2 came out a long time ago, but there's that sort of kaiju battle scene, which is pretty funny, but they're obviously hamming it. It's up. a gag, yeah, yeah. So, gag. what would it look like if they? they took it seriously and and played it straight
0: right if you use the best miniatures you could possibly yeah. make the best costumes really and then worked. just
1: polish, it maybe polished it up with some cgi too
0: right just like yeah like accents but not not um not the not the base core of what you're seeing you know and like i said play like mess around with the frame rates to create the illusion of giant lumbering beasts even though it's just six foot tall people yeah. in costumes you know it'd be pretty cool
1: Yeah, I think when, too, I think everything we're talking about, I think we're going to look back on this period, especially uh, after Pacific Rim kind of kicked off, as maybe not a golden age in monster movies, but we're definitely going to look back at it with a lot of reverence and and really appreciate
0: what we had. I mean, we've definitely had... In terms of American films, we've definitely had better giant monster movies in this era than, you know, consistently better than, you know, years past. I mean, the new King Kong, the uh, Kong of Skull Island, I thought was really good. You know, it's not perfect. It's a flawed movie, but it's super entertaining. Same with the Gareth Edwards Godzilla.
1: Yes. Um, Those movies are way better than they have any right to be. And I I think even especially... um godzilla king of the monsters which i was
0: i didn't like that one
1: yeah i was a a little disappointed with it but there are things about it that i really like
0: sure okay yeah
1: so and then yeah kong skull island actually i think is the best of the crop i didn't like it the first time i watched it for some reason but after watching it a second and third time it's now one of my favorite movies to watch
0: it's a a lot of fun it's just it moves it's moves very brisk briskly it's a beautiful looking movie. Yeah, it's uh, got a
1: fun backdrop with the, does, the historical period.
0: Yeah, it does a good job of balancing like the different like the comedy and the, the gags and the and the action like really meld well together. And, and the also, monster
1: I, fights are tremendous. Really good,
0: and uh, Samuel Jackson's antagonist character is phenomenal. Yeah, you know, I think the, char- if the movie gets bogged down with too many characters. You know, like it could have definitely. Uh, uh, benefited from a little editing, but other than that, I mean, it, it's just like it's just a, a delight to watch, and it, it honestly invokes to me like a lot of like of a live action Miyazaki movie. He made an action giant monster movie, you know? Oh, interesting. But like, but like from a visual standpoint, I see a lot of a lot of Miyazaki in it, and I really, I, yeah, I really enjoyed it. And then also, not you know, from Japan, Shin Godzilla came out a few years ago, and that is one of the best Godzilla movies ever made, in my opinion. Um, so, yeah, you're, like you said, like maybe not a golden age, but definitely like we're doing a better job than normal in terms of monster movies.
1: Yeah, it's pretty unbelievable. And even I'd even go so far as to say that uh, Pacific Rim 2 uh, Uprising is worth a look.
0: I It's fun. You know, I it's enjoyed it. Movie. Yeah, I remember. Actually, I remember when you watched it, we were on an airplane, you and I. and You watched. I think that was the, that was when you first saw it, right?
1: Wow, maybe. I think I think so because
0: I remember you going, like, "Oh, I haven't seen this. I'm going to watch it." I was like, "Eh, it's okay." And <laughs> then you watch it, and then you watch it, you're like, "Oh, I thought I like. I kind of liked it." That's
1: a spot on impression of yourself.
0: Like, eh, it's okay. Like, <laughs> it's <yeah>. okay. <laughs> yeah. uh, but it, even though I wasn't crazy about that one, um, and that one actually kind of, uh, it's more like that one's more just like robots fighting than. Yes. There's a lot more robots fighting ro- robots and robots fighting monsters in it. But there are some really uh, good parts about it. I think I like John Boyega a lot. I think that there's some good like banter between him and the, the young actress actress whose name I don't know. Uh, and um, the, there's a twist in it that I think is a very good twist, um, which I don't want to say spoil. but
1: Yeah, don't um, say anything about it. Just go watch Pacific it, Rim 2 if you haven't. It's, yeah. It's, it's uh, available well, I, to stream, even though Pacific Rim is not.
0: Where is it streaming?
1: Uh, a couple places. Uh, I can't remember off the top of my head. Uh, oh,
0: okay. I'll look it up, because I almost thought I'm, I was going to... I was, was planning on watching both of them in preparation uh, for this episode. But yeah, I, I
1: would know. check the usual suspects, but my, my go-tos, honestly, are uh, Tubi and Crackle. Uh-huh. If you like your uh, streaming free, it's all about Tubi and Crackle, and sometimes uh, voodoo.
0: Yeah, they often have some like weird deep cuts.
1: Yeah, lots of good horror, just lots of good horror and sci-fi and action movies. If you're into that mm-hmm. kind of weird and gross stuff, but anyway, so back to Pacific Rim. Yeah, so the the big cheese of this movie, obviously, is um, Charlie Hunnam's character. Which I can't remember his name. It's probably something Australian. It's uh,
0: it's, uh no. It's Raleigh. like Rowdy
1: Raleigh. or or Cleave or <laughs> Cleve. something like that. What is his character's name?
0: <laughs> I think it's I think it's Raleigh. Like oh yeah, like Raleigh. The, That's it. Yeah, by. Raleigh St. Clair.
1: Yeah. Or uh, yeah,
0: that is that might be it. Yeah.
1: Or what's what's the Brian Brown's character from
0: uh, FX? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I have no idea have you ever seen those movies fx and fx2 uh
0: i've seen fx which is not great it is not and great I,
1: I thought it was cool I, when i was a kid because i was like oh i would want to be that guy using using movie effects and, and puppets to solve crimes and beat up criminals
0: <laughs> and i remember the tr- i very re- vividly remember watching like the commercials and trailers for fx2 and be like this movie looks fucking dope
1: yeah oh but, yeah it's like brian brown brian dennehy like, back together yeah. again
0: and there's that remember in the trailer there's like that scene of him like like wiggling his fingers and making a mirror appear remember that? yeah one? and i thought that was and it just looked like a wave like of water coming down but he's like it looked so cool and it was like fx2 the deadly art of illusion yeah and i was like hell yeah but i never saw i never saw that one
1: but it, it, it really helped him portraying the, like, the mystique of, like, effects artists as, like, basically magicians and, like, you don't right. know what the fuck they're doing. Your pathetic little brain can't even <laughs> yeah, right. fathom the, the 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 tricks they're going to play on you. Good well, luck, I mean, there, pal. There
0: was, I mean, like, I mean, when people say corny shit like movie magic, I mean, there definitely was a time, uh, you know, pre-Jurassic Park. When you'd watch a movie and you'd be like, "How the fuck did they do that?" It's
1: just mystifying.
0: And now it's like always like the explanation is like, "Oh, they did it with a computer," which is not always the case. Sometimes mm-hmm. they do some really crazy stuff, or even the stuff they're doing with a computer is like, "Oh, wow, that's really." It's not you're not just hitting a button and like the movie like animate movie. That's right. not how it works. You know, there's still a lot of technical stuff that goes into it. But I think that's kind of just like the nowadays it's just like oh they just did it with CGI and you know but before it was just like it was like you knew that it had to be done some way practically physically and you're like literally how did they pull that off you know and that mystique is, is kind of gone a little bit because like, like you said it's just people just assume the button is pressed and then a movie magically appears in the, in the theater you know and that's how we determined that uh, Pacific Rim is actually a, a subtle sequel to FX2
1: Pacific Rim is a sequel to Robot Jocks.
0: Yeah, well, you know what? What's cool about Pacific Rim is there's this long history, uh, particularly in, in Japan, of these kind of movies about giant robots fighting monsters. But like, it goes back at least to the Ultraman series, you know? Yes. If not before that. But I mean, that's definitely the oldest one I can think of from like the uh, late mid-late 60s, about a giant robot fighting these giant, you know, built to fight, specifically to fight giant monsters.
1: And I wonder if that was part of the big turnoff, if if people just looked at it and were like, oh, here we go. It just Genesis looks yeah, like was, a Power Rangers type, Power type Rangers. movie.
0: I mean, that could be. It's just like, you know, thinking this, you know, maybe they're like not knowing the whole history of, of these type of films in Japan, you know, where it's not just, it's not always just kid stuff, or there's also like Neon Genesis and this, there's like this rich lore of these type of.
1: Yeah, they uh, have like uh, a like a hundred foot Gundam statue in. Uh, where is that? So there's like, there's a giant robot statue. Like, are you
0: talking about is it a statue? Are you talking about it? Because they actually are building like a sixty foot tall Gundam style robot. In yeah, I'm Japan. pretty sure it's already built. Well, it, it's, it's they were just, but they're now they're doing like uh, the motion test, and I was watching this thing where it's like legs are lifting up.
1: Oh yeah, they used yeah, they used a crane to move it around.
0: But no, it's like I think it's supposed to be maybe we're talking about different ones because I what I was watching is like an actual like self automated sixty foot tall robot. It's just and they're and they're trying to get it to walk on its own now. But they can just yeah. get it to move. Yeah. We're talking about the same thing.
1: Yeah, it's in Yokohama, Japan.
0: Oh yeah. Uh-huh. We are talking about the same
1: thing. Yeah. Fifty five thousand well, pounds. That's Jeez, real shit.
0: Is. Yeah. Maybe they're maybe they're getting ready for something we don't know about. I
1: hope so. I could really use
0: <laughs> like some monsters coming up out of the water.
1: Something, man. Something. A- aliens, monsters coming out of an interdimensional gate. Um, whatever. But um I guess that was my only uh mild issue with Pacific Rim was I wasn't so hot on the the reveal towards the end of the movie of what was well, going on on the other side of the
0: the interdimensional oh, wh- gateway. Why, why it was happening? I actually kind of yeah. like that part, but that actually was going to be my next question, was what, what parts of Pacific Rim didn't you care for? That right?
1: was about it. Everything really? else. There was also a, um, and it's hard to even pinpoint, but there's part of the movie that sort of grinds uh, a little bit where Mm -hmm. the plot kind of like meanders a little bit. But other than that, I love so many things about it. I love uh, Charlie Day and his, uh, you know, his scientific counterpart. And I love how they took they took one crazy scientist character and split it into two halves. So there's you could do more with it Mm -hmm. because you essentially have the a similar scientist character in, say, Independence Day right played by brent spiner yeah where he's like he's a lab rat he's down underground he's studying this shit he's giddy and he's fascinated by it but at the same time everyone else is taking it seriously because people are dying and while he's like alien stuff is super cool man uh everybody's like what my wife's dead yeah Yeah. you can (laughs) go to hell nerd (laughs) But you get that the same thing in here where, you know, Charlie Day's character of Newton, he's got like kaiju tattoos on his arm. And, you know, uh, Charlie Hunnam's like, yeah, uh, fighting kaiju ruined my family and ruined my life. So. uh, Right. Yeah. I mean,
0: at one point, Charlie Day's character is even like referred to as a kaiju fanboy. You know, Yeah. And he's like one of the head kaiju scientists in the world. But they call him like you just love monsters and, you know, think they're cool.
1: Yep. But I get it also from a scientific standpoint this is like the discovery of a lifetime and so well, interesting a, and you want to it's it's not like he's okay with kaiju killing right. everyone but he wants to learn from it and understand
0: it. Well yeah, that's a, yeah, that's totally his argument. Yeah. My the only things I really don't care for in the movie is um some of the casting I'm not like wild about. Uh, which was funny because like Idris Elba, I really like Idris Elba, but this is not my favorite performance of his. Um, yeah, I think, he's to- I think he's totally like like adequate. I don't think there's anything wrong with it, but I was like, it was just kind of like, oh, usually I, I expect more from you, and you just kind of maybe just walking through it. Uh, I and,
1: think. Well, I think too that like he gave it as much as it really needed. Sure. I, that, I, don't, I don't know that there yeah. was, like, so much more to do for, maybe he was, for anybody. He
0: was, maybe he was just perhaps slightly, like, maybe he would have been better in a different role in the movie. Yeah. Know, or,
1: I mean, I guess maybe he had trouble being feeling like a warm, kind of sympathetic character.
0: Yeah. There was just something, like, maybe he didn't come across as grizzled as... <laughs> his, yeah, he
1: didn't that... ha- have enough scars like uh yeah. who is that guy in uh avatar
0: oh Stephen lang yeah 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 he needed the Stephen lang scars there yep. we go uh and then also his like his like inspirational like we're gonna go out and yeah the kaiju's speech is one of the it's it's pretty weak
1: it is it has a couple of good lines but it's very yeah. short and it's yeah
0: I, would, it would not get, if I was, it would not get me roused up to go on and do anything, you know, if I was like, it's like, so there's monsters out there and you want me to go out there and this is the speech that you're going to give to me to go fight the monsters. I'd be like, ah, maybe pass. You yeah. Know? But other than, yeah, other than that. Uh, I mean,
1: I like the lines, uh, I like the line about the monsters at our door and I mean, even you can tell canceling the apocalypse like may have had. They may have been like, hey we need you to write a tagline
0: into the movie right and- well that's funny because when I when I saw the trailer I originally thought the line was uh, we are cancer to the apocalypse <laughs> well wow, that would have been weird and then when like his and then like and then oh, so when I'm watching the movie and then it's revealed that his character has cancer I was like, oh he's talking like he's like before that line came up I was like oh, he's you know thinking back to what I saw in the trailer I was like he's he's making it personally I'm dying of cancer. But not today. Today, I am the cancer to the monsters. You know that's. And a- then I, oh, go ahead. And I thought that was kind of cool. But then when I actually when I was, when I got to that scene in the movie and I heard the line again, I was like, "Oh, he's canceling the apocalypse, not cancer yeah. to the apocalypse." And I was like, mm. "So maybe it- that was why." Maybe that's why the speech was disappointing for me because I thought it was going to be this completely other, you know, thing, but it it wasn't.
1: Yeah, and if I had a nitpick, I would say that his his illness was a little confusing because I mean, there's nothing wrong with the backstory of, you know, Oh, you know, we, we didn't do the proper, you know, shielding and and we got radiation sickness or cancer or whatever. But the idea that his nose would bleed inexplicably and he was taking whatever the,
0: like the pills. Yeah. Yeah. That
1: see, that implied to me. And I mean, I've seen this movie before, but, But I haven't seen it enough to have it kind of memorized. But that implied to me that he had some kind of uh, either like remnant of the drift or some kind of psychic link to someone or something. And when he would get a bloody nose that was like triggering that.
0: Because they actually they show that in the early scene is like when that guy tries to rift or not or tries to when the rift goes unsuccessful like his his eyes and nose start bleeding yeah you know, exactly a, and then it's just, it's, just a, it's just a strain on the body and mind
1: yeah and when charlie day uh drifts with the the kaiju brain the same thing happens and so it's yeah, all it's-, it's all set up like um you know when you're when you're linked to something and so i thought oh maybe his dead partner is uh is linked to him and you know there's something there or it it hinted at something kind of more interesting than right. what was given.
0: I, I agreed, yeah.
1: But obviously, that's not nearly enough to like ruin this movie.
0: No, these are like the minorest of like yeah, nitpicks. It's like, well, this actor was good in the movie, but could he have been better? You know, it's like, yeah. <laughs> the broad
1: strokes of this movie are are so monumentally better than any of its flaws. Like even the subplot about uh Ron Perlman and the the kaiju black market. It's oh, I love fascinating.
0: it. Yeah. It's, that's, that's, I, I honestly want, would have liked to have seen a movie more, more, you know, like a more, not, not necessarily this movie, but I've always been interested. Like you watch Godzilla movies and you watch all this stuff and it's always just like this destruction or whatever. And then in the next movie, it's the same thing again, but like we never see the in-between scenes, yeah. you know, it's like how, what's going on in the wake of a giant monster being killed, and how does culture change? Like, so you're right. in this
1: new world where giant monsters and giant robots exist. So, how does that change people down on the street?
0: Right, because that's the thing. Like in, in like old Godzilla movies, is like Godzilla sh- and some other monsters show up every year or two and attack Tokyo, and thousands of people die. But then, like a week later, everyone's just back to business as usual. Right, you know, and we get we get a little we get a little. Cl- Uh, glimpses of that um but not it's not really fully uh uh explored and another movie uh that they kind of did it which was um it's a movie called it's called monsters it's uh gareth edwards who did we just mentioned the american godzilla from 2014 it's his first movie a very low budget movie and it does it, it it kind of tries to do that where it's like oh what if there was a world where there's monsters but most of the movie is kind of like isolated from that
1: oh it does my favorite thing though which is exactly what you're talking about and it shows the effect so like you've got signs and warning signs and checkpoints and everything zoned off and all you see is aftermath you don't see any creatures really until the end but all you see is like the destruction and like the what happens to the land and and everyone's reaction to it and i love that i it hints at something and sort of sets your imagination off in a direction and like it creates that sense of like wonderment versus like oh here's the monster just destroying everything so you know exactly what that looks like
0: right that whole opening scenes from that movie where there's all like the you know the bureaucracy of dealing with like monster control people. Yeah. You know, a like government officials like like, hey, we got to get a- go through this land. Like, well, that's that's restricted monster zone. And it's like, well, I'll pay you off. Like all this, like that part is so cool. And then once they get past like those initial, like you said, like you know, government checkpoints and stuff, then the movie just kind of becomes something else. Yeah, which is fine. But I would have liked to see a movie that deals more about like throughout the whole thing about what is the daily life? How is that affected? Yes. How, where you're dealing with these black markets of selling, you know, uh, stolen Kaiju bones and stuff. And like, how is this whole world interact and whatnot? And that would be a really cool movie. If something just incorporated that from start to finish.
1: Yeah. And another thing that Pacific Rim does so well, that is, is part of that is um, in a lot of movies, exposition can really drag a movie down. But right. here in this movie, the exposition is fascinating. And I it could really listen is. to the yeah. people talk and explain. And it's it's executed so well and done to such a level of of specificity and importance. Like, it's all useful information to have. It's not just, like, nonsense. It's all very, like, everything that Ron Perlman has to say about how his business works and, and what the... Sort of like the the amount of ammonia in the the kaiju brains, all that kind of stuff is so interesting, and it also has an impact on what comes next, because they're trying to figure out how to how to salvage the brain before it dies, in order to, uh, you know, create this drift compatibility with with a human.
0: Hmm. Another and, thing it does. Oh, good. Oh,
1: and then you know, the, I just love the fact that too in his in their chase to figure out what the kaiju are up to using the drift process, they sort of sabotage themselves. You know, because the, the right. drift is a two-way street, so the monsters right. are are as aware as the humans are uh, of what the kind of the, the coming events are.
0: Right. Uh, one thing that this movie does really well, too, which adds, again, into, like, it being in a tangible real world is one thing that kind of drives me nuts in a lot of sci-fi or action movies is, you know, like there, there'll be like two characters fighting or a bunch of like two armies fighting or whatever, and all of a sudden like they'll be they'll be about to lose and they'll be like, okay, break out the secret weapon, you know, and they break it out at the end. Yes. You know this this super powerful weapon. It's like why didn't you use it at the beginning of the fight? If this thing takes down your enemy in one blow why didn't you use that but one thing they do in this is uh their resources for using those weapons are, are finite you know right because there's the, there's the one there's the one jaeger that has like the plasma cannon in its arm and they even say like they're fighting the monster and he goes empty the clip right Meaning because like,
1: yeah they're managing the amount of of sort right. of shots that they have
0: Right, so they're fighting three different, two or three different monsters, and it's like, okay, this is a resource that I have to reserve for when I really need it, not just bust it out later because at the end because it'll be cooler, you know. Right. And then there's other the other stuff too, where it's like, you know, the. They have the newer, fancier, uh, uh, Jaegers, but then there's that one they one uh, kaiju they can release the emp that just basically shuts them down so they yep. have to use like the older nuclear powered yes so it's like you know, they, they, they come out first with the best weapons the coolest weapons and then for for a good you know for a you know a, a good reason within the plot they're not able to use it yes so then they have to use something else and rather than just just being like you know holding off on using the coolest one for the end because you know it's kind of like in the batman movies like the like the batman forever where he was like well i'm gonna put on my the best batman costume you know with all the technical gear on it it's like uh, why didn't he just use that through the entire time if this is if this is better and works better for fighting crime you know that stuff always kind of drove me nuts
1: yeah i like when it's used in the sort of the appropriate place same with the um the sword arms uh deals like I remember some folks complaining, uh, when the movie came out, like, Oh, why didn't they just use those right at the beginning? It's like, well, because they didn't necessarily need to. And like you, right. there's an escalation, uh, factor to consider. It's like, Oh, okay. Well, do I just, uh, you know, go for it and try to chop its head off or but maybe that's not the weakness. Right. Right. It's a, you got to look at it almost like a hunter, um, you got to choose the right, the right tool or the right weapon for the job. Right. Because,
0: because they try, they use other weapons that seem uh, uh, in that, in that fight where they do end up using the sword, they use weapons that would seem more deadly or more advanced in general, but they end up not being effective against that particular Kaiju. And that's one of the cool things that we learn about the Kaiju is that they're all genetically engineered for specific reasons. Like the one that has an EMP attached to his head. Yes. So like they're like, Oh, they keep sending these robots out to fight us. Well, we'll 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 develop our kaiju, uh, to specifically combat combat their power source. You know. Yeah, it's very thoughtful in the in yeah the, in the in the fight mechanisms and why the fights happen the way they are. It's not just solely for the sake of something visually cool. It works in directly to the plot.
1: Right, and even which, down to the personality and the style of each jaeger right so the the russian jaeger is is super clunky and and heavy-handed and you know built like a russian tank i guess like a it feels like a cold war weapon
0: right it's reminiscent of like what we those images we have in our mind of just like tanks being driven down the street in a Russian parade or whatever, you know? Yep.
1: And then the Chinese Jaeger has, you know, it's got three arms and it's got three, three guys in it and they have, mm-hmm. you know, buzz saws on the end of each arm and they're all very intentionally, you know, designed to work uh, a specific way. And even, you know, like you were saying, the new Jaeger is, is, you know, the the upgraded model and is super slick and all this, but it does have vulnerability. And that right. gets exploited.
0: Yeah, totally. It's, 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 it's it's a, it's like a, it's a prime, like it's a textbook, like example of like, here's how you, inter, you know, here's how you introduce things, not just for the sake of us, like, oh, like, here's a gadget for the sake of a gadget, but how you can do that to integrate and, and help the story. Like, I it kind of drives me nuts. It's kind of the same thing in like James Bond movies. You know, there's a certain era of James Bond movies, which I'm not a huge James Bond fan in general, but yeah, that you know, like where he'd go and get his gadgets and it, like and he would be like, Here's eight random gadgets, right? You know, it's not like, Hey, you're gonna be in this place, so you're gonna need this gadget. It's like, here's just the gadgets that I've invented.
1: Yeah, we made some new this, stuff. Go and field test it for me, basically. And it's
0: like, and it's like, this one's a popsicle stick that can turn into like. A jet ski and this stuff. And just by chance. uh, Yeah,
1: he figures out a scenario where he's going to need it. He needs
0: to use each one. And I get that that can be kind of fun sometimes, you know. Yeah. It's kind of like, you know, it's kind of it's goofy or whatever. But like, I mean, you're just doing that all the time just as an excuse for somebody to use this cool gadget or this cool, you know, weapon or whatnot without it being thoughtful to the plot or maybe the thing, the cool gadget that you had ended up not working you know and you have to get innovative and creative and come up with a new technique and that's what's really yeah they you could you can you could watch specific rim and study it of like here's how you do all those things that you want to do and include all the cool you know stuff like that you want to put in it but have it all work and make sense and serve the plot and not just serve itself
1: yes and it felt like almost everything was in service of the plot which I really appreciated, even if I didn't necessarily wasn't necessarily thrilled by everything that happened. Like Mm -hmm. the uh, sort of drift compatibility relationship between uh, Mako and uh, Raleigh was, it was cool. I think it was, I think it was fine in lieu of a traditional love story. And it felt like a very, like very much like an anime type presentation. Mm -hmm. Um, where it's like, oh, we have this mental and emotional connection, and that's like that's different and stronger than you know a traditional romantic relationship.
0: Well, I love the fact that it did not turn into a romance because you're totally expecting that to happen just based on you know what happens in yeah. American movies of this of this ilk, and it drives me nuts. It's like, oh, it's impossible for a man and a woman to have a deep sh- friendship and respect for each other. Yes. You know, without them falling in love. Yeah. Like that, like that can't happen, you know? And like the very fact that this movie does make their relationship so strong and so important, you know, and make their connection so deep, but have it not be in a romantic way whatsoever, you know, yeah, is kind of a bold choice for this type of movie produced in America, you know? Oh, Definitely. And I really appreciated the fact that it didn't just have to fall into like, and then they fell in love because that's what happens when boys have a penis and girls have a, yeah. Well, like they have
1: that, uh, that uh, drift compatibility sort of test, which is essentially just a fight scene. And they have such chemistry during the fight. Normally those type of uh, male, female fight scenes where they're on an even playing field, it ends oh, it's up totally sexual right know? exactly it ends up just being like a sexual like oh well huh. yeah, when, you, when you respect someone's fighting ability that means you have to fuck
0: right it's like like they'll, they'll be crossing like they'll be sword fighting and their blades will cross and their faces will be two inches from each other and the only thing that's stopping them from kissing is the swords in between them you yeah, know right and uh, fucking this shit drives me nuts yeah and like that that wasn't the case at all so really really appreciated that aspect of the plot
1: yeah and I also liked uh, the uh, Mako had a backstory that sort of mm-hmm. connected her to the Jaeger program uh, with Stacker Pentecost. I thought that mm-hmm. was super cool, having her run around the wreckage of the Kaiju attack, almost like uh, World War Two or something like that. And that the kid right. who played her as a child was tremendous. Oh yeah, I was like taken aback by the level of concern and care for her safety that, that she inspired in me.
0: Well, it's not, I mean, it's like, and she's, it's a very short scene. And I don't even know if she has any dialogue, you know? No, but, it's
1: mostly just screaming and crying,
0: but it's so convincing and so real. And that, that scene itself too, because that's a that weird flashback scene where it's the first time she's been in a, like that, that kind of that drift type scenario. And you're watching how like Howard just kind of like overwhelming her and taking her over, and it enters that weird dream sequence. It's handled so well. Yeah. You know where it starts snowing inside of the cockpit. You know, and that's our first, or is it? I, I guess it's not snow; it's ash. Like you start seeing the ash fall down inside of the cockpit, which right. Is, that's our first knowledge that something is off, and like she's, you know, seeing something that's not there. Impeccably handled. I mean, it's. I mean. It's not insane that this movie is so good. I mean, Guillermo del Toro, even when his movies, his weaker
1: movies. Yeah, his worst movie, his worst day at work is better than most.
0: Yeah, totally. I mean, like, and it's crazy because, you know, it's like, this is a guy who makes, he he does what's in service of what he's making. This is the same guy who made movies like Pan's Labyrinth, but also Blade 2, you know. And he like fully said like he he did Blade Two as a job it wasn't a passion project for him but he said if I'm going to take on this movie I'm going to give it all of my effort yeah he still did you a
1: know. great a tremendous job with it
0: and he said he said I'm going to make my movie but I'm also going to service the franchise I'm not going to let my ego overtake what this movie what I know this movie's supposed to be and when uh, I saw him in an interview about Pacific Rim and he goes you know because he had just uh, been nominated for an Oscar, you know, for not yeah, I mean, a handful of years ago, but for Pan's uh, uh, Labyrinth*, and they're like, I'm like, well, now you're just making this fun action movie, and he goes like, well, I wanted to make a movie that, if I was 12 or 13, would be my favorite movie, you know. And I think he's made a movie that's grander than that um, goal, but there's nothing wrong with that goal, you know. And why did do, why does everything have to be like, oh, if I make serious movies? that's what that's what that's what I do and if I make something that's not serious it's kind of just like a little screw-off movie I made you know uh for fun and it just can you can't, why can't you have the same energy and investment in a like a children's action movie as you do like a serious war drama you know
1: his filmography really is pretty mind-blowing I mean Kronos his mm-hmm. his first movie is really good if you haven't seen that um, it's a cool take on like vampire mythology. It's great, yeah. Mimic, which is I think is pretty underrated. Um Devil's Backbone, like you said, Blade Two, Hellboy.
0: hmm Holy Shape cow. of Water.
1: Yeah, the shape of water, Crimson Peak.
0: I mean, the only the only connective thing really between all of these movies that they all uh, is that they all uh have a fantasy element to it. They're all like horror, ghost, sci-fi, you know, yeah, genre. You could,
1: you could argue that these are all in some way like a dark fairy tale.
0: Yeah, totally. But, and it's like, and obviously he's like, you you see his, his stamp on all of them as, you know, stylistically as a director, but he's not someone who's like, I have to make a movie that looks exactly like this every time. It's not like a Tim Burton where it's like, right. you know, like, just instantly like oh yeah it's a tim Burton movie even though it's yep i need i need stepford
1: wives and gnarled trees and all of my hallmarks in there
0: you know it's like you want visually pacific rim is vastly different than a movie like uh pan's labyrinth you know but he he still manages to put his stamp and mark on it in more subtle ways you know i mean so it's not shocking that pacific rim is as good as it is because we're dealing with the director like you said on his worst day is still better you know you what's 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 probably his worst movie like blade two maybe and it's the best blade movie easily you know (laughs) i mean i think it's up for debate i think that crimson peak uh
1: probably had the i feel like the worst public opinion
0: but that's a movie that i thought was super underrated i really liked crimson peak you know and but then yes, I think uh publicly it did it did kind of it was uh publicly it was not his mo- best received movie.
1: I feel like too uh a lot of folks didn't really get Shape of Water even though it won an Oscar. That's such a right. head scratcher to me. I f- I yeah. feel like I'm reading that that it was won an Oscar for best director and best picture. Yeah. And I'm just like, huh? I I, I don't know that the public treated it as such.
0: I mean, basically, if you, I remember, I saw it uh, early on when it was like still in limited release. I was in Portland, and it was playing there in in limited release, so I went and saw it. And I remember saying like, "Oh, I saw this movie," and the shape water like, "Oh, I heard about it. What's that about?" And I would explain that like, "Wait, it's about a human woman who fucks a fish." I'm like, "Well, not exactly, but (laughs) you know." and i like like that sounds weird you'd like that movie that's weird and then it won best picture and people were still saying the same thing like the movie about the guy, the woman who fucks a fish it just one best picture you know like so maybe though that was people who hadn't actually seen the movie who had that kind of opinion about it
1: i think so i i would wager that it was pretty underseen
0: because if you if you uh, if you watch the movie that's not the takeaway you're going to get from it just yeah. like, woman fucks fish any final thoughts on pacific rim
1: the overall message of this movie is what? I think it's it's plain as day. If you can't see the writing on the wall, you're a fool. The whole point of this movie from top to bottom is cooperation. Whether you're I mean, whether you're in the drift with your partner, whether you're a nuclear superpower with a common enemy, whether you're a uh, you know, Rogue scientist or lab rat One arguing biology The other arguing mathematics It's all about cooperation
0: Well I mean that is You just did like the 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 scientists and stuff The two scientists are constantly at each other's Throats about what's right Or who's right or who's wrong And they're constantly fighting And then Charlie Day's character Like tries to drift with the Kaiju brain and it's too much for him to handle And the other Scientists is like, well, what do the Jaeger pilots do? It's two pilots for a Jaeger. Let's do two. Let's, you and I join together. And things only start working when they, you know, start cooperating. Yeah, when they
1: share the load. So maybe that's it. Maybe it's sharing the load.
0: Yeah. (laughs) That's why, that's why there's two of us, Keith.
1: Exactly. We got to share the load because I can't, uh, I can't bear the strain of this microphone all by myself.
0: I mean, the second you went to the bathroom, this show just, (laughs) <laughs> I was just saying, like, papaya on my phone. You know, I didn't know what to do.
1: I we've both tried to do episodes solo of this show, and it's been
0: not as successful. It's been
1: a struggle, to say the least.
0: Yeah, I mean that's you and me caught up in the drift.
1: That's right. <laughs> you said it, buddy. But yeah, Pacific well. Rim is. I would give it if I was rating it on a some kind of tomato meter. Maybe on the trasho meter. We'll bring that back. I would give it upwards of 90%. I think this is a, a great movie. It's a lot of fun. You get to see some really cool giant monster brawls. You get tons of cool lore and world building. You get some interesting characters. Um, and ultimately, I feel like it's a really satisfying watching experience. And just everything that a blockbuster big budget action movie should be like in the great tradition of universal soldier and independence day and movies I think of really
0: that hit, ilk. Hey, we hit nail on the head there. This movie is incredibly, if any above, above anything else, you know, cause we've talked about all the subtle nuances and that are incorporated into like this, what would normally be just a big monster movie, but this movie above everything else is incredibly rewatchable. Yes you can you can you can put this on anytime it's equally entertaining every time there's enough going on to catch like little like background details that you miss in the back that aren't necessarily important but are just like oh i didn't see that there was that thing back there you know yeah uh and yeah you can you can you can it's you can fold laundry to it you can sit down and watch it intently it really works on all levels of you know like what am i going to watch tonight hm? I'll just watch Pacific Rim again.
1: Yeah. You can wa- watch a documentary about it, read about it, and then go revisit it and find out, you know, it has all these extra layers that uh, you didn't even know existed.
0: Yeah, I've, I've said I'd probably have seen it like six or seven times and maybe maybe eight and it uh, it doesn't lose its momentum. You know, it's like it's equally enjoyable each time I've watched it, if not more, you know, on repeat viewings.
1: Well, then I think based on that, we really just have a debt of gratitude owed to Guillermo del Toro for not only making the movies that he's already made, but for fighting for movies like this. Um, if, totally. if you know anything about him, he has had kind of an uphill battle against studios to make the kind of movies that he wants to make in a lot of ways. And uh, not all of them have gotten made, but I think this was one that he really fought for and, and had to, had to sell hard and he managed to get it made. And I think that's, that's truly something incredible. And we should uh, celebrate that.
0: 100%. What a guy. He, he seems like a really, like, obviously like who cares if, you know,
1: he loves movies more than you. You think that all these, these people, you know, who have a ton of DVDs and some collectibles and go to the movies all the time and, all they like is movies hey guess what this guy's got a movie museum in his house
0: yeah he's like he's an obsessive fan and you know i don't often like people i it kind of bugs me sometimes when people are like oh i watched an interview with a you know tom hanks he just seems like such a nice man like well maybe he is maybe he isn't there's really no way to know that these are actors pretending to be people and also does it really matter you know like you're not hanging out with these people no and that, so that kind of bugs me sometimes. But that being said, Gabriel del Toro genuinely seems like a gracious, humble.
1: Yeah, he comes off very genuine.
0: Yeah, very genuine. And like you said, like in terms of just being a fan, you know, it's like I appreciate him on that level. It's like this guy has such a deep love for the movies and this type of movies. Which brings me, like, maybe we should end on this little antidote of him talking about why he wanted to make this giant monster movie. Is that as a child he loved them so much. That he went to go see uh, War of the Gargantuans, uh, which is a Japanese uh, kaiju movie uh, directed by Ishiro Honda. And he was a kid, and he was in a shitty theater, and someone threw a cup of pee on him from the balcony. And he stayed and finished watching the movie, even though he was covered in pee because he loved the monster movies that much. So if that's not a fan, I don't know what is. What
1: an absolute legend.
0: Totally. Well, on that note.
1: Yeah, I think that about does it for this week's episode. Thanks again for listening. And until next time, the dumpster is closed.
0: We're going to harvest the skin, the talons, and the wing. Germans are gonna go nuts for that stuff. Let me see that map. Here's where the kaiju fell, here's where we concentrate our efforts. We'll get it, boss. Right. Hey! Okay, guess who's back, you one-eyed bitch. You owe me a kaiju brain.